Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and I am beyond excited to introduce my special <laughs> guest to you. His name is Greg Kokel. He is the author of the book Tactics, and we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of that uh, book, and uh, he has uh, revised, updated, and expanded that book that you can now get on Amazon. I'm going to leave a link. You can get it elsewhere, too, I'm sure, but I'm going to leave a link to the Amazon page. Be sure to get the book, leave a review, and help an author out. And uh, so, Greg, <laughs> thanks so much uh, for joining me. I can't believe we're having this interview. I'm a big fan of your work, and I'm very Thank excited you. to have you on, sir. Thanks so much for joining well, me. No, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here, I mean, uh, genuinely. And I understand I'm, I'm just following uh, Jay Warner Wallace not too long ago, so he's one of my closest friends. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, you, got, you must have a good podcast if Jim is going to be part of it. You know, I'm glad to be part of it, too. Yeah, well, I got to say, I've been very surprised. We started the podcast at the beginning of this year. Uh, apologetics and theology is just something that I'm passionate about. I'm not a theologian or a philosopher. Not yet, right. anyway. We'll see what happens in the future. Um, uh, or I'm not even uh, working at a church or anything like that full-time right sure. now. And so it's kind of a hobby for me that's really taken off. And uh, uh, Jay Warner Wallace was actually one of the first people I, I had on the podcast. I was so yeah. surprised to email him and then him him say, yeah, I'd love to come on. And then from there, everything yeah. just took off. I'm always surprised to, um, and, no, uh, when well, someone agrees to come I'll, on. I'll so. tell you a secret. I'll tell you a secret, Hayden. Um, most of the people that – that I know, like Jim and Frank Turek and, you know, a whole host of Lee Strobel, the whole crowd, you know, all of these guys that you read about or you read of and read their books, they want to make a difference for the kingdom. And uh, some of us, like me, and not so much Jim, but I'm a little older than Jim, but, you know, we're going to be hanging our cleats up pretty soon. And there's got to be a whole new generation, uh, what I call the young guns, you yeah. know, that come in and uh, are going to take uh, take our spots. And so anything that we can do to help groom you, help you, encourage you, uh, train your audiences, uh, have an impact, give you some uh, some advice, whatever. Absolutely. That would be helpful to you. I mean, we're thrilled to do that. I think you're going to find that across the board with the kind of people that you read, in, at least in our field, you know, in our kind of uh, fraternity, so to speak. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's the impression that I have got from everybody that I've spoken with. Um, I, I don't know a lot of people behind closed doors, but just off the air and things to just so the audience can know all these people that I've had on have been uh, extremely wonderful to work with and talk to, including the skeptics that we've had on. Want to throw that out there as well. Um, and from one young gun, uh, I'd just like to say thank you. I very much uh, do appreciate all the wisdom and everything that you and uh, Jay Warner Wallace and the others have imparted to this generation. It's there's no question that it's made a very uh, positive impact for the kingdom, and so thank you very much for that. Um, so now, well. yeah, thank you. And now, uh, for those uh, members of the audience that uh, may not be familiar uh, with who you are, uh, you must have been living under a rock if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know who Greg Kokel is. But anyway, uh, Greg, if you don't mind giving us a brief uh, introduction to who you are and what you do. Yeah, I'm uh, probably best known as the founder and president of Stand to Reason. Um, Stand to Reason is an organization that um, started 26 years ago. Our goal was to, and continues to be, to train Christians to think more carefully about their convictions and then offer a thoughtful, gracious, but effective, incisive, defense for classical Christianity and classical Christian values. And so we're we're really not just passing on information at Stand to Reason. A lot of organizations do that. I'm glad they do. 
But we're doing something a little different. We uh, have an incarnational approach. That is, we want to build a certain kind of person. We call that person an ambassador. And an ambassador has three different qualities, generally speaking, or at least skills in three different areas. And that is, they have a knowledge component. I mean, just think of an ambassador in political um, circles. They have to have a knowledge component. They got to get the foreign policy concerns right. They have a, um, a, a component that I call wisdom which is a ability to maneuver tactically in, in conversations. And then they have to have a character component because if your ambassador is just rude, you know, yeah. uh, that's going to undermine the whole enterprise. Mm-hmm. So we see knowledge as an accurately informed mind, wisdom as an artful method, and character as an attractive manner. Yeah. And those are really the, 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 the pieces of the puzzle that make – stand to reason tick we want to build a certain type of individual um and we want to make sure they have courage for every christian that there is clear thinking for every challenge and that there is a i should say confidence for every christian clear thinking for every challenge and courage and grace for every encounter so those are like mission vision kind of elements of stand to reason and i've been doing radio for this is my 30th year now and uh, this was before podcasts, of course, so I was live radio on weekends for a while. Then it kind of it morphed into the kind of the podcast domain. Most of our listeners know our podcast just because of the convenience and the mm-hmm. mobility of podcast files. And, uh, and I, I've spoken on um, more than 85 college and university campuses, both here and abroad. Um, my goal isn't principally to do evangelism. That's not what makes me tick. What makes me tick is training other Christians to make a difference. I go on the university campuses to address secular audiences, oftentimes. I've even done a number of debates, uh, some of them somewhat high profile. But my biggest interest in even doing those things is to help Christians see how another follower of Christ can comport himself mm-hmm. under fire, And with the ideas and maneuver effectively and hopefully shrewdly, as Jesus Mm -hmm. suggested, um, with the challenges that we're facing. And uh, my writing has been largely to abet those enterprises. I wrote a book with Frank Beckwith more than 20 years ago now called Relativism, Feet Firmly Planted in Midair. I'm looking here at my—oh, here's a copy of it. I might as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good yeah, there we go. I just got a royalty check for the last six months, which is $258. No, $238, which ain't much because uh, these aren't selling that much. But they've sold 50000 over the last 20 years, so that's pretty good for a book. Yeah. But uh, then a couple years later, uh, I should say it's a couple years ago, two years ago, uh, we released a book called uh, The Story of Reality, um, How the World Began, How It mm-hmm. Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. And that sold 50,000 just in the, in the meantime, just in the last couple of years. It was uh, Christianity Today's Book of the Year, in fact, in its category, and uh, really happy with that. But uh, 10 years ago, I wrote a book called Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. And uh, that's what that looked like 10 years ago. And just this year, since this is 10 years, we have there now— there it is, the 10-year anniversary <laughs> edition. I'm just like, it makes my heart go pity-pat just to hold it, by the way. I, you, maybe you can see the spine. There's a, This one's bigger. Yeah, it's, it's thicker. Too. Yeah. <laughs> That's because I took what I think is already a good book, 
the average is 4.8 stars uh, out of hundreds and hundreds of reviews uh, on Amazon. Um, and I and I improved it. There in the last 10 years, Hayden, there have been. Um, a lot of things that I have learned that I wanted to include in a second edition. So that's why this has twice as many tactics almost as the first edition. It has six new chapters. It has um, <clears throat> a lot of development of a concept I only touch on in the earlier book, earlier book, and that's the concept of gardening versus harvesting. Gardening versus harvesting. Without mm -hmm. good gardening, you're not going to have a, have a harvest. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so what... what uh, most of our evangelism is focused on harvesting. We have little tracks and booklets and stuff trying to get people to sign on the dotted line. But unless there's good gardening done in a person's life before that, they're not going to be ready to harvest. Yeah. And uh, this is a neglected area. And so the tactical game plan is meant to help Christians just put a stone in someone's shoe, yeah. just, just garden well so that uh, down the line somewhere – that person will be ready to receive Christ when God brings a harvester, so to speak, into their life. Yeah, and absolutely. So, yep, sorry. That's like I, kind of an overview summary of the kinds of things that I've been involved with the last uh, many years. Yeah, I do want to. I do want to jump in there real quick. Uh, before I do so, I want to uh, let the audience know that there will be a link in the description to the Stand to Reason uh, website, so you can get subscribed to the blog and different things like that. It's a wonderful resource um, that you should definitely be subscribed to and uh, uh, keep in touch with. Um, now, you do mention here and uh, the gardening versus the harvesting. Right. Uh, I idea and uh, this uh, really stood out to me um, uh -huh. and, it, and, it, and it's probably going to stand out to every Christian because I've, I've noticed the way that you kind of go into it sometimes is like now we don't have to get to the foot of the cross in every conversation and of course the the good Christian or especially the good Baptist like me is going to go oh, what we shouldn't get to the we, we can't we, we mustn't get to the cross in every conversation um, but then you stick around and you listen and it makes sense so I, th I was hoping you'd be able to uh, touch on that for us oh briefly. sure sure um, what I realized over the years I, I became a Christian uh, 46 years ago in the Jesus movement in Southern California and back then you know evangelism was pretty simple you give them the simple gospel you answer some questions that are fairly simple um, you invite people to receive Christ and they pray a simple prayer easy you know that was 50 years ago. Uh, times have changed. The gospel hasn't changed, but times have changed. And that means the way we communicate the gospel has got to be different. Um, it has always been the case that, um, that pre-evangelism was important to the issue of evangelism, okay? Um, here's, an, here's a little aphorism that I'll offer to your audience that, that really um, uh, is not profound on the one hand, but it could have a profound impact in the way we approach this project if we let it sink in. And the aphorism goes like this. Before there can be any harvest, there always has to be a season of what I'm calling gardening. Before sure. there can be any harvest, there's got to be a season of gardening. This is true in my life 50 years ago, and I tell a story about how I came to Christ in the night that I trusted the Lord. Fruit was ripe. My brother just bumped against the fruit, and it dropped into the basket. It was easy. The hard part is in the gardening. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is now things are much more difficult than they were then. Uh, there's a lot more hostility to Christianity and to the Christian worldview. The cross has always been a stumbling block, but now major portions of the Christian understanding of reality are under attack as well. The notion of truth, the notion of gender, sexuality, what it means to be human, all of that stuff is volatile ground right now. So when Christians are faced with the prospect 
and indeed pressured almost by other Christians or pastors or whatever, and I understand the impulse by pastors, but pressured to get out there, share the gospel, get people to receive Christ, challenge them to trust the Lord. Well, this, I think, is right-hearted, but in our times, it's wrong-headed. And uh, because now we need more pre-evangelism than ever before. What happens, Hayden, and I think you, you, you this is obvious to most people, if they feel, Christians, that they have an obligation to get to the cross in every encounter, for one, they don't know how to do that. How do you go from ground zero or from a dead stop into some evangelistic presentation where the cross makes sense? That's yeah. a problem. Yeah, I always think about uh, somebody was once explaining what you're explaining right now to me, and they said, you know, if we're expected to if we're expected to get to the cross in every conversation or whatever, you know, you can just imagine the waitress bringing your glass of water and you saying, "Oh, water! Jesus walked on water. Do you know? G-? You know things like yeah, that. Right. It's like unless you're willing to do something like that, it's kind of untenable, and it's certainly defeating. I've felt that. I've I've had days where I've gone. You know, I haven't gotten to the gospel in a conversation with somebody in a while, and I feel um, yeah, def- right. defeated and, uh, you know, perhaps unworthy or something like that. But go ahead. Sure. Well, I, I, I will tell you a secret that's going to blow the minds of your of your listeners. And I don't you may not have heard me say this because it's only oh, I did. Past- yeah. <laughs> well, what I'm about to say, you know, Pro- oh, maybe say. if you're going to say what you said on Frank Turk's podcast, but go ahead. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, this is more recently. I've been working it into my my conversations. I haven't led to anybody to Christ in over thirty years. Yeah. Is that is that what you heard? Yeah, that's what I heard, and I was like, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this like what a loser, you know, um, lame Christian. But but then I got to explain a little bit more because the reason is I have been focusing in on the gardening play part. Which gardening part is so critical if there's ever going to be a harvest? Mm-hmm. What I was saying before, if people have this sense that they, they have to get to the cross, you know, in every encounter, well, that's hard to do, as you mentioned with your illustration there with the waitress. But it also sounds, pardon me, like fighting words for a lot of people. Yeah. That is, if they kind of get there, they're going to get in an argument. So you know what happens? Most of the Christians are sitting on the bench. Right. They're not at play at all. Yeah. And so they're doing nobody any good, and the harvest is suffering because the gardeners are few in this particular case. <clears throat> right. So now I, I, I need to amend my comment a few moments ago, or at least give the backstory. Sure. Because we were just talking about my friend and your interviewee, Jay Warner Wallace, and, mm-hmm. and he is one of the most effective apologists, I think, uh, in play right now. In fact, I would rather go see Jim talk than anybody else. I love watching Jim. I always learn something new. I have a good laugh. His presentations are powerful. They've even moved me to tears sometime, okay? Turns out that Jay Warner Wallace, best-selling author of Cold Case Christianity and God's Crime Scene and uh, Forensic Faith, and there's more coming. Yeah. He was in my garden. Wow. Jim Wallace was listening to my radio show when he was still an atheist, mm-hmm. all right? So maybe I haven't led anybody to Christ that has prayed with anyone to receive Christ in the last 30 years, but I've been doing the job as a gardener in a way that has had powerful impact in other people's lives. Uh, Abdu Murray is another example. He's right now the senior vice president of RZIM. That would be Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Abdu was listening to my bod- podcast when he was still a Muslim. 
many, many, many years ago, okay? So Abdu was in my uh, garden too, and I have actually talked to many, many, many who had been in my garden, so to speak, before they were believers, and now not only are they believers, but they're doing significant work for the Lord. And so this is just to make the point that there is a place for lots of people gardening, because as we garden, as we sow, to use Jesus' language in John chapter 4, it gives opportunity for other people to reap. Some sow, others reap, is what he said there in John 4. And it's interesting the way he puts it, too. In that in that statement, he's identifying one field, but two seasons, and two kinds of workers, yeah. sowers and reapers, gardeners and harvesters. And I learned a long time ago that, as I realized, I'm just reflecting on my life, I, I'm really a gardener, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. And if I could have a technique that allows me to have friendly conversations with people and put a stone in their shoe, get them thinking, I'm a happy camper. And so far, that's been working pretty well. Yeah. And uh, I know somebody went into my garden and harvested my fruit with Jay Water Wallace and Abdu Murray, but that's okay. <laughs> Jesus said, John 4, that the one who reaps and the one who sows can rejoice together. Together, yeah, absolutely. And, so, and I'll say this is this approach is quite more genuine than the alternative. Um, the alternative is very not forceful in its approach, but forceful in the sense that you're forcing the conversation to go a certain way yeah and the other person's going to catch on like they're not they're not idiots they understand what you're doing you're taking everything you possibly can and trying to get them to make a decision um about about jesus and if they don't want to do that then it's it's i'm sure it's quite annoying and uh, it seems like you're not a very genuine person so i have i have three or four friends of my inner circle not just acquaintances but some of my best friends that are atheists and or they might call themselves agnostics or something like that. But we hang out, and they genuinely like me. We're very close friends. And um, I've actually been introduced as, this is Hayden, our our Christian friend. But he's cool. You'll <laughs> like him. You'll like him. <laughs> uh, and and I, don't, I don't say that braggadociously, obviously. But um, I think it does I go to show that. Testimony. I, you're bearing testimony to a style of engagement. Right, I am because I don't take that approach of every time I hang out with my friends, we've got to talk about the fact that they're going to go to hell and they need to make a decision for Jesus. Yeah. Um, right. it, you know, whether I believe that or not, I'm, I'm just, we're not going to, I'm not going to force the conversation to go there. We have, but we do have meaningful conversations all the time about. Uh, the nature of the universe we live in, or you know, sure. things like that. You know, whatever might come up, I don't know. Or keep in mind, Jesus didn't get to the gospel in every presentation either. When you sure. look at Jesus preaching, especially early on in his ministry, he was laying the law down on people. Sermon on the Mount—that's not good news. It's bad news. You know, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> you, you 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 don't commit murder. Well, you know, if you just call your brother a fool, you're guilty of health fire hellfire if you don't commit adultery well, if you think about it look out you know yeah. you are to be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect that, that's not good news that's bad news mm-hmm. and so jesus laid a lot of the bad news on for that's part of his gardening to prepare the garden for the message of message of grace so he could say come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. What were they weary of bearing the burden of the law that's what i'm convinced about in that passage 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so to the audience, I would just say um, my advice would be in, in whatever conversation you find yourself, don't feel forced. Obviously, we, you know, we and, and Greg would agree that we encourage you to share the gospel with people. That's not what we're saying. But don't feel the pressure of um, I have to get to the gospel. I have to get to the foot of, of the cross in every conversation that I have. Otherwise, I should feel guilty. Uh, Jesus yeah. isn't, I suppose Jesus isn't uh, keeping a tally of how many gospel conversations you've had today. But anyway, um, so I, I agree with this approach. I think it's the approach that um, the, uh, um, anybody listening should take as well. But uh, let, let's get into uh, the, the the tactics a little bit if we can. Um, but sure. before we do so, just explain what we mean by tactic what a tactic is, and then specifically what it is not, that is, how okay. this, this approach should not be used. Yeah, sure. Uh, people who are familiar with military terminology um, <clears throat> uh, knows that there's, uh, there's a difference between strategy and tactics. Basically, strategy is the big picture, all right? So there is a strategy for the Allied forces to take Europe, and it's called D-Day. They're going to land in this particular way and engage, okay? Once they land, strategy is over. It's all tactics. How, uh, how do the individual engagements look with people? And so when I talk about a tactical approach, I'm not just talking about what's our general way that we're going to win the city for Christ. What I'm talking about is how do you maneuver in a conversation with an individual about things that really matter spiritually? That's the tactical element. Now, tactics are particular things. That is, they are maneuvers that one can use uh, to to accomplish a certain advantage in the conversation. I'll acknowledge that right up front. Sure. However, they are not meant to manipulate. They are meant to manage the conversation. They are not meant to coerce people. They are meant to control the direction of the conversation. So broadly put, when we talk about tactics in our conversations with others, what we want to learn to do is to find a way where we can actually stay in the driver's seat of the conversation. We, we want to make that conversation go in the direction uh, that we want it to go. That doesn't mean we're doing most of the talking. I mean, this interview here is a great example. Yeah. Uh, Hayden, you are driving this interview. You're mm-hmm. in the driver's seat, and I'm following your lead. I'm that's, doing like, most- that's why I like to interview people and not be interviewed <laughs> by people. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm following your lead, and um, I'm doing all the heavy lifting here. Yeah, you and, are. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're just relaxed and comfortable, and you're waiting for a pause. You'll throw in your two cents and then, then ask another question. And so... Mm-hmm. I, I just want people to see the dynamic here. Um, this is the kind of dynamic that I want to encourage people to have in conversations tactically. There is a game plan. There is a specific way that we um, can engineer the circumstance we're talking about right here, where the Christian is in the driver's seat, not the skeptic, not the atheist, not the the uh, the, the gainsayer right there. You know, he, the person who's objecting, right. um, and that's the way it most of the time is. We find ourselves on the defensive because they bomb, 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 and then now it's up to us to answer as best we can if we can, and that's what we're afraid of. That's why, since we can't do it very well, we're sitting on the bench. Right. So this is a is is a set of tools, so to speak, that allows us in a friendly, genial, easygoing way to really stay in the driver's seat, even though we're not doing most of the talking. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I find it a very uh, useful approach, um, and uh, we'll get into that. I actually want to ask about uh, spe- specific tactics, sorry, uh, and that sure. is what ha- what you have deemed the Colombo tactic, which I love, <laughs> the, just the name of it I love as well. Um, but, uh, now, please, did you know who Colombo was before you read the book? I do, because my, my dad would watch the show or, okay. uh, and, oh. uh, or has told me about the show. I don't know if I've ever watched an episode. I've probably seen clips or something like that, uh-huh. but I did know who uh the colombo was but uh yeah. do uh, explain explain who he is and then also uh, what the tactic is okay so colombo is a tv character from uh the late pleistocene period i mean like four <laughs> decades ago it's a yeah. long time ago but he's still in reruns and uh you can pick him up on youtube and uh, nick at night whatever but he's also the most recognized icon of, of television i mean he is very well known he's even more recognized than lucy all right uh, both you know relics of the past uh, agreed but never Nevertheless, he he was uh, popular because he had a very simple way of solving crimes. He would show up in a rumpled trench coat with a stub of a cigar in his hand, you know, and a pad of paper. And he he had a bum of pencil off of somebody because he didn't have his pen with him. So he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. right. He looks innocuous. He comes in under the radar. He's scratching his head, mumbling to himself. And at some point, he'll say something like this. He'll say I don't know, something like this, something about this thing bothers me, you know. And, yeah. and, that's and, it. That's a good impersonation. That was pretty good. It. Well, it works better when I have the trench coat on and the cigar in my hand, but in any event. <laughs> uh, and then he said, do you mind if I ask you a question? And then he asked the question. Yeah, all right, you're very intelligent. Hey, one more thing, you know, and then he one more thing him to death with all these questions. And uh, sometimes people get annoyed. And he said, look, I can't help it. It's because I'm asking questions, but it's a habit. Yeah. And this is a habit. Christians need to get into. So the book is divided into two sections. One is a game plan. The other one is what I call finding the flaws. The Colombo tactic is the game plan. The other tactics like suicide and taking the roof off and just the facts, ma'am, and and uh, what a friend we have at Jesus, that's in the new book, or Inside Out, which is in the new book, all of these are meant to um, to abet the game plan proper. If you don't know any of the, the other tactics, but you know the core game plan, mm-hmm. you can still use the tactical approach. As you add the other tactics in, then you're going to be able to see how other people's point of view maybe go south in some way you could exploit also using questions, okay? Mm-hmm. So Columbo has this easy way of approaching who he thinks, and later on is pretty convinced, is the murderer, mm-hmm. the guilty person in the crime, but not in a way that puts the murderer on the defensive. And right. this is key to the Columbo style. It's mm-hmm. easygoing. It's non-threatening. Yeah, he does. He, he and I am recalling some episodes now. I remember my dad watch. He does have an end in mind. Yeah. Um he's uh, in a in a certain sense, he's just not giving it away. He's he's trying to and 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 for us, we do actually want to be genuinely curious. Uh, Columbo is obviously being intentionally deceptive as a detective. It's his job to capture the criminal. He, I think he kind well, of he has the, he has the right to do so. He's not showing his whole hand. And right. so, I, I, I mean, Jesus didn't show his whole hand all the time either. So um, I wouldn't call it deceptive. I would call it shrewd at this point. Sure. So and notice also at the beginning, and this is the same thing in our conversations, Hayden, at the beginning, he doesn't know who the bad guy is. He's there on the crime scene. There's the body. Yeah. So he's beginning his investigation. So the first thing he's got to do is he's got to gather information. He's got to sure. get the lay of the land. 
Pretty soon, he starts to get an idea who the guilty party might be, and then his questions become more pointed to that end, oh, okay. and that's the same way how it is in our conversations. We start out really completely innocent. We don't know you know, what this stranger believes, or if they're not a stranger, we still may not have a lot of information. We are gathering the information in a very genuine fashion. Maybe there is no opportunity here. I don't think that every single conversation is a divine appointment personally. And by gathering initial information, that allows us to know whether we can go further. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that this um, approach really does achieve um, you know, what you were saying a moment ago when you said it gets people or it could potentially get people off of the bench. Um, I, for one, do not do well under pressure. I don't ever see myself being this great debater or somebody, you know, just I am interested in apologetics, but I don't see myself being a great debater like William Lane Craig or somebody like that who really goes on the offensive and, uh, you know, really makes the case and is and is a wonderful debater or something like that. Um, but this kind of I see how I can play my part in in the kingdom um, in, in, in having gospel conversations, but also just in um, apologetics and things like that by um, by just simply asking questions. And so this has helped sure. me tremendously. For the podcast listeners, I've had a couple of skeptics on. Now I am the interviewer, so it should be expected. And I see a, a lot of corollary between what you're, 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 you're saying in the book Tactics and just an interview as mm -hmm. well, being the person doing the interview. And I just ask these skeptics questions. And then, um, you know, the questions themselves can be quite revealing, but I leave that up to them and the audience to decide. I right. don't really go after them that much. I am obviously the interviewer. I don't want to do that. I'm not trying to debate them. But um, yeah, it really takes the pressure off of you, and it is effective. And so I, I, if you get nothing else from the book, and you surely will, definitely um, learn how to ask questions like Columbo. Well, what are some of the questions that we should ask? Well, the way I look at the game plan, I think of it in three parts, and uh, it's easy, in a sense, to keep in our mind that way. It's not complicated. You have a different goal in each situation or each part or each stage of the game plan, and, uh, and I think this makes it very simple to begin applying, especially the first step because you don't do the second step unless you've done the first step. Yeah. It's like you don't think about finishing the football game as a winner until you have the first kickoff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and so this is why I don't want people thinking about the end game. I don't want them thinking about sh about winning anybody to Christ or or even sharing the gospel at this point. You need some intel first. Think about Columbo going on the crime scene. What if he started accusing people of committing the murder right. without Enough. Info. I mean, that's that's premature, obviously. So it, there's an analog here for us as as uh, as as ambassadors for Christ, and that is when we um, find ourselves in a circumstance where we would like to have a spiritual impact. The the very first thing we need to do, and this is the first step of the game plan, we only worry about one thing, and that one thing is gathering information. Very simple, mm -hmm. not threatening. And You're it comes across, and it comes across, and that's because it is genuine. It comes across it as, oh, they're they're just interested in me. 
and my worldview and what I believe. And and you should be, or, or I don't know if you should be, but I am. That whenever I ask people questions, my skeptical friends and things, I genuinely just want to know what sure. they think. I I want to know what what that would be like. Um, yeah, sure. But, uh, sorry to jump in. Continue. No, please. no, that's a, <laughs> it's a good point. A good point. I mean, I'm not I'm not like over interested in every person. I do know though, if I'm meeting somebody, and maybe we're just ships largely passing in the night. I'm not going to see him again, so I'm not going to build a strong relationship with them. But I can can be genuine in my engagement, sure. even though I I have um, what's the right word? I, 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 ulterior motive makes it sound like the motive is bad, sure. but I have another motive in play, and that is I want this person uh, to reflect more carefully on their own spiritual convictions and consider mine if we can get mm -hmm. to that spot by the way that's not a bad bad thing i was gonna say that i mean that's just that's a good thing to want for people yeah yes of course of course so um so when i'm asking questions i'm paying attention uh to understand the person and maybe i never get to spiritual things so what we've had is just a, a momentary friendly encounter that's all sometimes something comes up and then oh wait a minute let me Oh, there's a direction I can go and I can ask a little bit more. Okay. Uh, there's a now a fairly famous encounter I had that's recorded in the book with a witch in Wisconsin who was wearing yeah. a pentagram. And uh, she was actually a, a clerk in a store doing some business with me. And I noticed the jewelry. So I asked her about the jewelry. Does that jewelry have religious significance? Because five pointed stars often are occultic symbols. And it was in this case. Now, it might not have been. I'm taking an interest in her and her jewelry. It looked like a statement. She might have said, oh, no, that's just a five-pointed star. It doesn't mean anything to me. Now, she did say, well, it, the five points stand for earth, wind, fire, water, and spirit. Okay, so that's the occultic stuff. Yeah. But then I asked her, well, does that have spiritual religious meaning for you personally? Some people wear crosses, and it, they're not invested in the meaning of the cross. Right. And so now it's another question to find out. She could have said, no, 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 it's just fad. You know, I just wear right. this stuff. But that's what it means. No big deal. But she said, yes, I'm a pagan, is what she said, which it turned out she's a, she was a witch. I asked her as she started explaining, you're Wiccan then. She said, yes, I am. So notice how um, just a couple of questions that could have gone nowhere. And had they gone nowhere, no loss, right. no skin off my nose. It was a nice little conversation. I grabbed my product and I'm out turned into a longer conversation about something significant, and that was the abortion issue and how we got there. People have to read the book to see the, uh, yeah. the chain of events. Uh, but um, it, was, uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it, it, it was all made possible because of these basic little questions that I was drawing her out with to get more information. And by the way, when she started talking about her paganism, well, now I got more things I want to know. Right. You know? and this, I think we're coming to what I view as like one of the most important questions <laughs> that you need to remember to ask people. But go ahead. Yeah. It's what do you mean by that? Yeah. What do you yeah. mean by that? Or some some version of it. Notice when I uh, I asked her about the the five pointed star, I said, what do you mean by that? Right. Essentially, it was my question, but I framed the question for the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And then when she told me she was a pagan, I said, what do you mean by that? But the form of my question was, knowing what I know about paganism and women, I said, well, would that, would, would that make you Wiccan then? Are you Wiccan? And she said, yes, I am. So no, that's valuable information. 
Okay. Right. Oh, now where do I go? And she did me a favor because the next thing that she said in trying to explain some of her view was that uh, Wiccans respect all life. So now she's giving me some theology. Now, if a person has a theology that respects all life, what do you think their point of view would be regarding abortion? What would right. follow from that, Yeah, they'd that, be pro-life. So what made you think that, I mean, as, assumedly you would have thought you would have had a preconceived idea that her answer was actually going to be in contrast with the belief she just claimed, right? Well, or, uh, or kind of you, you may not have asked the question in the first place if you didn't have some kind of inclination. No, I did have I had some understanding. I think most witches are pro-life because of their theology or. At least okay. OK, so when she said, you know, we respect all life, I said, well, that would make you pro-life then, wouldn't it? So mm -hmm. I'm making common cause here on this, assuming she's. Going oh, so to say you're no. thinking she's going to say yes. Well, yes, but I'm oh, just OK, I got you. I was I'm thinking I was thinking you were thinking she was going to say no. So sorry. But yeah, go ahead. No, but but uh, it, it, even so, even if I thought she was going to say no, it's an appropriate question. Right. Because yeah, yeah. consistent with a theology that is respecting all life, you would be pro-life. Right, and definitely. so. There, there might be a tension here that I could exploit with further conversation and questions. So anyway, I, I'm just trying to figure out, make sure I don't misunderstand her. Yeah, so I, I said, so, oh, well, that would make you pro-life, wouldn't it? And I expected her to say yes, because most witches are. She said, no, I'm pro-choice. And I said, really? Isn't it odd for a, a witch to be pro-choice? Yeah. Because you're pro-life, right? At yeah. least for you respect all that. And then she said, well, it is a little bit odd. And then we went on with the conversation. She gave her reasons why she was pro-abortion. But yeah. notice that all of my questions up to that point were were genuine requests for information mm -hmm. and uh, were variations of what do you mean by that. And um, we weren't fighting. There was no lines drawn in the sand. Yeah. We weren't uh, defending turf. I was just trying to find out her view. And then yeah. it led to a very, very interesting conversation. It's a very interesting conversation that you'll want to read about. I remember reading yes, about sir. it. It was very, very, uh, it just had some entertainment value as well. But yeah. I, I, I do and say, I think that the first question, what do you mean by that, really gets at an important thing um, that our conversations desperately need today, whether it be in religious conversations, political conversations, just conversations in general, which is definitions. I think it gets at right. we need to define our terms. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you whenever just take the abortion topic, for example, when we talk about, um, you know, should uh, um, abortion be legal? Should it be up to a certain point, et cetera, et cetera? At least, whenever the politicians talk about it, they almost never define their terms. A couple exactly. of a couple of terms which need to be life, human, personhood, abortion itself. What does that word even mean? Things like that. And so, the way to get at what we um, how to define these terms, a good way to do that is the approach. I think is a wonderful way is to sure. ask the question: What do you mean by? Abortion. What do you mean by human? What do you mean by personhood? And you can take that and use it in any conversation. Absolutely. And a lot of times people haven't even th thought. And and you can touch on this. I'm sorry. I don't want to keep butting in. But <laughs> no, a, no, lot of, a lot of a lot of a lot of times people haven't even thought show, about. Hey? Yeah, it's my show. But a lot of times people haven't even thought about what they mean by the words they're using. That's right. That's right. Well, this happens a lot when people are name calling. They right. call you narrow-minded or intolerant or bigoted or racist or all these popular terms right now to silence the opposition. 
turns out I think these things are, are used flippantly without understanding because they're effective as emote, emotive words to silence the opposition, but they're not, in almost every case, they're not saying anything meaningful. I'll give you a good example of that, and here's an application again of what do you mean by that. <clears throat> I've talked about this in, in the first edition of the book, but I've actually isolated this as a separate mini-tactic, and I call it sticks and stones, right. all right? So, you know, sticks and stones can break your bones, but well, names will never hurt you. Well, right. yeah, not, that's not always true. OK, right. um, especially in debates, because names frame the discussion in a way that can favor one side or the other. So when somebody calls you intolerant because you have a view, for example, against same sex marriage, maybe maybe you think same sex marriage is not a good idea for whatever reasons. OK, and you voice this. Pardon me. Then it's not unlikely for somebody to to charge you with being intolerant, okay? Whenever anybody calls you a name, you uh, and that's the key to this sticks and stones tactic, you always ask for a definition. So we're basically doing the same thing that we do with the game plan, step one. What do you mean by that? But we're applying it specifically to the name calling. <clears throat> There's a couple reasons to ask for definition. Uh, first, it stops the flow against you the rhetorical mm -hmm. flow against you, the momentum against you that is created by people calling you names that are, are, are politically correct name calling right. against politically incorrect people. All right. Mm -hmm. And um, boy, that's you're already off balance. So when you ask for a definition, it puts the ball back into their court. And so that buys you some time and it stops that momentum against you. Here's the second thing. A lot of times people aren't even going to be able to know what the word means in any way that it applies to you meaningfully. Or they are going to be guilty of the very same thing that they're accusing you of doing by their own definition of the word. OK, right. so let me just role play this out. Sure. And this is also in the in the book. OK. So somebody says, you're intolerant. So my response is, what do you mean by that? Why would you call me that? What am I doing now that would justify you saying I'm intolerant? Well, you think you're right. Your way is right. Other people are wrong. That's intolerant. Say, okay, I do think I'm right, but I could be mistaken. We could talk about it, but let me ask you a question. So I'm emphasizing the exchange here. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you it. I don't talk like that when I talk. Right, to right. People, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is there's pedagogy here that's going. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. The views that you hold contrary to mine, do you think your views are right? Sounds mm -hmm. like you're correcting me, right? Do, are your views correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what's that person? The ball's now in their court. What are they going to say? They can't say, no, I'm wrong on everything I believe in. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to say that. Yeah. They're going to have to admit, no, they're right. Well, of course I'm right. Yeah. Okay, here's the final question, and maybe some of your listeners have already seen the trap I have legitimately laid for this person. Here's my final question. Now, I know what they mean by intolerant. Okay, great. Now, my final question is, why is it that when I think I'm right, I'm intolerant, but when you think you're right, you're just right? Yeah. What am I missing here? You know? Yeah, exactly. Of course, I'm not. I'm not missing anything. I'm trying to help the other person see that he has resorted to mere name calling. That's all right. it is. And I mean, if he said I'm intolerant and I turned to him and said, well, you're ugly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> now, I would say that, obviously, because it's not good manners, but it's also bad thinking. 
Yeah. Because it doesn't matter whether he's ugly or not, he can still be correct. Right. In his view. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't only so your listeners don't miss it. It doesn't matter whether I'm intolerant or not, or bigoted or not, or racist or not, to the issue of whether I'm right on my view right. or not. Okay, I'm not encouraging those vices. I'm right. saying you can have these vices and they're irrelevant to whether your view is correct. Right. Same sex marriage or whatever, but it's a way of distracting. So now we've got a tactic in our toolbox that we can employ with the game plan. The tactics called sticks and stones. We use questions to employ it and we use it to sh- to stop the assault on ourselves and to turn the tables a little bit and sometimes to help the person see that they're doing the very thing that they're telling me I shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. That's a suicide. That's called practical suicide, by the way. Yeah. And that's also in the book. Yeah, it is. Um I'm going to ask you uh, one more question before we get to the bonus uh, bonus segment. Again, if you want to uh, listen to or watch the bonus segment, Five More Minutes with Greg Kokel, be sure to follow the Patreon link in the description below and become a supporter of the podcast. Thank you so much to our patron supporters. Now, Greg, what should we do? Um, and we kind of touched on the second, what is kind of one of the, the second most important question that we need to ask, which is how do you know that? Um, yeah. don't, I, I don't want I mean, I'd like to get into it, but I don't want to keep you all night. (laughs) No, no, it's all right. Uh, It is, since this is a two-step, at least the core game plan is two steps. I think it is important that we can talk about that. Okay, let's do it. So the first question we want to get at is, uh, what do you mean by that? And there we're really looking for uh, definitions. We want them to define their own terms so that we, and and perhaps another step would be to repeat it back to them and have them agree with it so that that way we aren't, um, you know, moving the goalposts or, you know, talking past each sure. other. Um, yeah, so once we yeah. get their correct mm-hmm. terms defined, uh, there's a second step. Yeah, by the way, it it's, not, it's, it's not just t- defining terms because if somebody says you should not be pushing your view on me right now, I'm going to ask, how am I pushing my view? How am I pushing my view on yeah. you right now? Okay. Well, you think you're right and I'm wrong. Well, of course, now we're back to that other conversation. Mm-hmm. I want them to articulate the sense of their objection as clearly as possible. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's defining terms. Sometimes it's clarifying the nature of the objection or, or whatever. Sure. So there's a lot that can be evolved in there, but it certainly includes what you mentioned. Okay. Yeah. What we The first question is meant largely to get a clear take on what their point of view amounts to. Okay? Mm-hmm. Fine. It, by the way, when somebody says, well, I'm a spiritual but not religious, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, tell me what's the difference, okay? Yeah. Uh, somebody says it's a person, it's a human being but not a person on the abortion issue. So we want to know what's the difference. Yeah, good luck so with these that. These are all yeah. clarification questions. They're all broad application to that. Then we want to know, once we have an idea of what their view is, we want to know the reasons they think the view is true. Mm-hmm. This is called the burden of proof. And the rule about burden of proof is the person who makes the claim bears the burden. So if we say something is so, and it's a controversial thing that we say is so, well, it, it, it um, to coin a phrase, stands to reason that we give reasons <laughs> to why, why somebody should think it's so. And right. the problem that Christians have done, um, Hayden, is they have taken the burden of proof upon themselves lots of times. Sure. So when the other person offers a challenge, then we feel we've got to refute the claim they've made instead of first making them defend their claim. Okay. Right. And, 
And that's what we've done is we've given them a free ride. Right. And so, so when, I'm sorry, I've, I've, I thought about something I wanted to run it by you. Whenever somebody <clears throat> raises an, um, a skeptical question towards you as a Christian, like you said, uh, um, our first response usually is, okay, now I've got to defend this. But there may be, and again, I keep coming to defining terms, but it could be more, um, there may be a term in the question that would allow you to respond in question with, with the first question of, of the Colombo tactic, which is, okay, I'll answer your question, but what do you mean by uh, you know, some term that right. was in, in the question? And yeah. then, based on their definition, they may now also bear a burden of proof based yeah. on the definition they give of that term. And so, it could be. It could be. It, principally here, uh, the second step of the game plan is not for when somebody asks a question but when somebody makes a claim. Mm -hmm. Now, many times they are, in a sense, advancing a point that they expect you to answer, but mm -hmm. they're advancing it in the form of okay, a claim. Okay, I got you. Yeah, asking a question so, in the form of a claim. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah so yeah, for yeah. example, I might say, come on, Hayden, you you know, you know, believe Jesus is the Son of God, all that. Well, you know, in the Council of Nicaea, 325, they changed all of the Bible verses. You know, they went in there, and this was a normal guy, Jesus, okay, and they made him into the Son of God, all right? Mm -hmm. That's just history, all yeah. right? So now, wow, that's Dan Brown's stuff, right? The uh, yeah, yeah. name of that book that he wrote? I'm trying to remember. The Da Vinci Code? Yeah, The Da Vinci Code. Okay, yeah. so that's Da Vinci Code stuff. Um, so this, it, and when that book came out, there were a lot of people that were making this claim. So, and they might say, okay, so how do you answer that charge? Well, now they've made a claim and they've asked the Christian to answer the charge, which means they want the Christians who disprove them. Oh, mm -hmm. wait a minute. Not so fast. So I'm going to say to the skeptic, I might ask a couple questions about to get clarity on what exactly he thinks took place at the Council of Nicaea. And then I'm going to ask another question. And here's the model question. The model question is, how did you come to that conclusion? Mm -hmm. Okay. How did you come to that conclusion? Or what are your reasons for that? Now, um, this can be voiced in lots of different ways depending on the circumstances, but for the person who made the Dan Brown claim, I'm going to say, how do you know that's what happened at the Council of Nicaea? Mm -hmm. Now, I guarantee you he has not read anything about the Council of Nicaea. <laughs> yeah. I have the records of the Council of Nicaea. It's in Philip Schaff's Creeds of Christendom. We've got the whole account of what happened and who was there and what the arguments were and what the vote was, 318 to 2, you know, that kind of thing. Or maybe it was 316 to 2, the two Egyptians were the dissenters. But, you know, uh, I know what happened there, and that isn't what happened. But I could say that. Well, I know right. what happened, and you're wrong. Well, that's not very artful. Right. Uh, I might be correct in the in the assertion there. But uh, so what I'd rather do is throw the ball back into his court and say, now, how do you know that's what took place at the Council of Nicaea? Mm -hmm. Have you read the Accords of the Council of Nicaea? Oh, I read Dan Brown. Well, Dan Brown's a fiction. You know that. It's in the fiction section of the bookstore. Yeah. Okay. And if Dan Brown says at the beginning of this book that all of these things are true, that's also part of the fiction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I love about what I love about this second part is that you can do this, do it well and effectively and not even know the answer to the objection. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> this you you is may know nothing about the Council of Nicaea, not unlike Greg who does. You may know nothing about the Council of Nicaea. But if you ask this question, and you may have to ask it more than once because you'll get some dodgy answers, you'll realize that, well, neither do they. But Yeah, go yeah you, what you may get is not just dodgy answers. You may get dead air. 
Yeah. No, no answer at all. People mm-hmm. look at you blankly. Now, keep in mind, they have made a very strong claim that they think invades aggressively against Christian theology. OK, fine. All right. Uh, but you have to do more than just make this claim against my view. You've got to give me some reason why I should take your claim seriously. Now, look, some people are going to give you reasons, all right? And then then you'll be sitting there thinking, I don't know how to answer it. All right, there's nothing wrong with that. No. I've been stuck without being able to answer questions too. So if you too. hate, yeah. so is every, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no worries. Jay Warner Wallace too. So that's just the way it goes sometimes. But uh, the point you made earlier, I just want to underscore, sure. you do not need to know anything <laughs> to use these two questions. You don't need to know theology. You don't need to know philosophy. You don't need to know apologetics. You don't need to be a clever debater. All you're doing is gathering information. But I, I, uh, I know this for people who are not familiar with the material are going to find this amazing. But people who are familiar with the material know that what I'm going to tell you right now is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. You will be amazed at how much progress you can make in a person's life by asking, what do you mean by that? How, how did you come to that conclusion? And yeah. not attempting to make your case at all. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what will happen. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, I, my final question for you, again, I don't want to keep you all night, but uh, my final question right. before the bonus segment, again, to the audience, if you want to watch the bonus segment, Five More Minutes with Greg Kokel, you can follow the Patreon link in the description below. Thanks so much to our patron supporters. Greg, what should you do if you find yourself, which I have before, and I'm sure many Christians have as well, on the other end of the Colombo tactic? So you've yeah. got a very shrewd skeptic who uh-huh. is either familiar with your own book or uh, Peter Bogosian's uh, uh-huh. books and things like that, uh, the right, street, right. street epistemologist types. Right. Which, what should you do when you find yourself in such a situation? Well, Peter Bogosian has written a book called A Manual for Creating Atheists, and it's really a tactics book for atheists, and he encourages to use questions. And by the way, he tells his people, his disciples, do not argue in favor of atheism, and he tells his disciples, do not argue against religion. Rather, ask questions to create doubt in their mind, which is the same thing that we've been talking about here. And some Christians get upset by this tactic. I've seen Christian YouTubers and apologists who specifically say something is inherently bad with street epistemology and stuff like that. And maybe there's some versions of it that you shouldn't do, but I I think they're doing what what you're saying we should do now. Yeah, to some degree. And I I actually, in the new edition, uh, the updated edition, I have a whole chapter called Turnabout. And that's when um, Columbo was used against uh, the Christian, Mm -hmm. and especially the Bogosian types, the street epistemologist types, because I think that they use the questions in an oftentimes in an illicit way. Okay, Okay. but uh, that's in the book. And I won't get into that now. But generally speaking, when somebody starts using questions against you, uh, well, there's two categories of questions here. Do you think, uh, Hayden, if some skeptic says to me, what do you mean by that? Do you think that question bothers me? I don't think it bothers you, no. <laughs> no, well, because I think I know, I know, what, I'm, I know what I mean, at least. Yeah, now, yeah. if it bothers a Christian, uh-huh. well, maybe they should figure out what they mean by what they say. Right, yeah. All right. But it should not, that question should not be a liability to the Christian. Right, no. So that's the first question. Second question, now how did you come to that conclusion? Do you think that question bothers me? 
If it's no, something you no. don't really, uh, you probably don't make claims that you don't know about because you're wise enough not to do that. But yeah, no, yeah, if yeah, it's a conclusion, right? A statement yeah. that I'm making a claim. I got some reasons for it, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna say, hey, sit down. Let's yeah. uh, let's let's talk. I'll tell you everything I know. So um, I don't think Christians should be afraid of those first two questions because it's going to give them an opportunity. They're being invited to clarify their view and to give the reasons they have. Now, if they're short on the reasons, okay, they can bone up. Uh, listen to Hayden more often, uh, go, to, <laughs> go to the internet, whatever, you yeah, know, yeah. there's plenty of stuff out there, you know that, yeah. for them to bone up. Okay? And I, I always want to recommend honesty. If you find yourself in a situation, you're a Christian, you know what you ought to believe. Uh, so let's say you make the claim Jesus rose from the dead, and someone says, well, how do you know that? And you go, and you realize, I've never thought about that before in my life. Um, own up to it. Say, you know what? I'm embarrassed to say I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. I'm gonna go find out. There you um, go. Or Perfect. I'm, or I'm gonna change my mind. You know, if that's what sure. the truth requires of you. But sure. um, yeah, please just be honest yeah. because I've I've watched apologists and other people when they clearly don't know the answer to a question and they pretend like they do because they're in a public setting or something and they don't want to look stupid. I I think you look more stupid when you pretend like you know an answer. Yeah. rather than just say, you know what, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, When I was a kid, there was a famous saying, now I realize that I haven't heard it in a long time, Uh, but it was honesty is the best policy. Have you ever heard that? Have you heard that? Yeah, Yeah. okay, well, because people used to say that all the time, but you don't hear it much anymore. Anyway, and so I, I agree with your particular point. So now the question is, though, what if it turns out, what if it begins to feel like as somebody's questioning you, and I get these questions when I do Q&A in, in audiences with universities. Yeah. <clears throat> They're setting me up. They're going to say, so you believe this, and do you say, well, this is true, and this is true, and this is true. And, of course, every time I make a commitment, um, I'm kind of – agreeing with something and I don't know where they're going with it and I might be setting myself up for a gotcha later on down the line and that's what I think Christians are concerned about okay when I feel like that's beginning to happen uh, here's my advice okay Mm -hmm. this is what I do I just did it where was I I was somewhere recently I did this very thing with somebody who was asking a question and I think it was at the University of Alaska a few months ago towards the spring and here's here's what I said I said well it sounds to me like you're using a bunch of little questions to make a larger point I think what would be easier for me is if Mm -hmm. you made your larger point and then let me respond to it would that be okay with you that's Mm -hmm. what I said and so they they gave up the little Columbo Q&A here, they were using Columbo to make a point. Right. That's the third use of Columbo, by the way, to make a point. And, um, and and I just cut them off at the pass, and they said, okay, and then they told me their view, and they asked for a response, and I responded to it. Now, I, what I did, and maybe I should run through that again, when I say it sounds like you're using a lot of little questions to make a point, uh, that confuses me a little bit. Why don't you just make the point and I'll respond to it. There it is. Um, what I did is I, I took away a tactical advantage the other person had. Right. Now, of course, when I'm using questions in that way, the other person can do the same to me. Yeah. They could say, well, it sounds like you're just leading up somewhere with your questions. Why don't you just make your point? I say, okay, here's my point. And what have they done? They took away the tactical advantage I have about the questions, but it's the best I could do at the time. All right, I'll just give my point of view. And I will surrender that tactical advantage. But that is a very powerful um, 
I think, tool that you can use. And I, like I said, I expanded that material so much on when somebody uses Columbo against you, I made a whole chapter out of it and included a bunch of the Bogosian material so people can see how the Bogosian crowd is using questions in a very different way than I'm using questions. Greg Kokola, everybody, thanks so much for joining me, Greg. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Please go get the book Tactics. It's the 10th year anniversary. I'll leave a link in the description. Please get the book. You will definitely benefit from it. I certainly have. Thank you for writing it, sir. Leave a, leave a review on Amazon as well and help an author out today. Greg, thanks yeah. so much for joining me. Again, if you want to uh, listen or watch the five-minute more uh, bonus segment with Greg Kokel, be sure to follow the Patreon link in the description below and become a Patreon supporter. Greg, thank you again uh, so much for taking the time out of your day to do this. You're welcome.